going to jump right on in. It's 718. That's not, that's not too bad. So we're not going to go past 810. Um, that's where we'll, we'll definitely cut it off. Uh, but we got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we're, we're going to release last week's on YouTube. And um, man, I think the baby just like smudged my glasses, something fierce. The light. <laughs> <laughs> See it, maybe, uh, but uh, we're going to record uh, each week and put them out there with some clips. And uh, if you know anyone that will benefit just from relationship teaching, marriage teaching, um, when we put it out there, make sure to share it. And um, hopefully, perfectly, it'll be a blessing to someone. Oh, you want to try? You could try it. I don't know; it might smudge. See it? That's right. No, you think. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. See what happens. Mama Mel, you glad the popcorn's back? Where's she at? Okay, good. Good. I can't see you. But. All right, let's jump in. Relationship trolls. We got it right this week. Last week it said marriage trolls, but it's relationship trolls. And last week, the, the troll, who remembers what last week's uh, troll was? Anybody? Ignorance. Ignorant. What do you think? Is it worse? Oh, that's worse. Yeah. You might just go wash them. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. Well, uh, while she fixes that mess, because I won't be able to think straight uh, with smudgy glasses, but um, you don't know till you get up here and, and the, the stage lights are glaring on you. Uh, the end, how many did the homework, the questions from last week? A few of you did. I really can't see you, but I'm, I'm trusting that everyone's hands up right now, right? Everybody? Uh, I'm blind as a bat. So the questions from last week, just as an icebreaker, uh, getting us into this week, it, uh, the, were, were these. The first question is, what is the purpose of your marriage? And it says in there in parentheses, write it down. And I believe that, look, wherever you are in, in your season of life, whether it be in marriage or in singleness, this is going to be helpful for you. If you're single, write down uh, what, what the purpose of your marriage will be, where you would like to see your marriage. And honestly, how many had trouble with that? How many had trouble with writing down a purpose for their marriage? Anybody? Okay. I see. Honestly, my vision really stops at the front row. So James, I appreciate your honesty there. <laughs> um, but look, this is something, and I know that I, I kind of had some conversation with, with some of you um, throughout the week, and it was like, man, that's a tough one, and we've never done that, and oh, man, what an angel. Yeah, brand new cloth. I can see. The, the most important thing that I need to see tonight is her beauty right next to me, right? Uh, so sappy. So it's a, it's a marriage seminar. I got to lay it on, right? Lay it on thick, but... Um, Anyway, it, if you struggle with that, what is the purpose of your marriage? That should come out in those moments where you're writing it down. Now, how many actually wrote it down now that I can see? Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, do it. Write it down. Uh, do the homework each week. What we didn't do this week, uh, we're hoping you'll fill in from last week. And maybe this week you can write your own questions. Um, and remember, we're doing Q&A at the end. Um, so this week, as we, it's just a ton of material. I figured it's enough for you to take this as a Bible study. Honestly, we're not going to make it through the whole thing. We'll try. We'll, we'll try to just kind of get through it. But um, there's so many, there's so many nuggets, so many points. You're going to be able to take this and just use it as a discussion talking point through the week with your spouse, or uh, if you're single, just in, in your moments trying to like figure out what this is going to be. Yes, sir. No, it's good. Let's hear it. How is he? Well, it's it's not consummated yet, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's kind of a a way of putting it, and I think that if I were to, how can I conceptualize this? There's probably a Bible. Bible Project video that, that says it better, but we are collectively the bride of Christ. So when you think of it as an, as an organism, um, you know, Scripture talks about us being some parts of the body, the, the feet or the hands, 
and Paul describes the church as a body. So when we're thinking in terms of the supernatural or the kingdom to come, we're, we're viewing our churches collectively as a physical body as Jesus sees it. And the Bible says that, um, I think I swallowed a popcorn kernel and it went halfway down. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I don't think it came out that time either. One more. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, there it is. Man, I'm a mess tonight. Thank you. Uh, but metaphorically, when you think of that, um, that's how he wants us to envision it. And then physically, how that plays out is he says, look, husbands love your wives as, right? So when you think, think about the implications, that your marriage is literally the physical representation of a metaphorical scriptural truth, that's why this is so weighty. If, if Jesus... If Jesus and his relationship with the church is viewed physically right now, it's viewed through you. And, and how is he going to judge your relationship? And so, for instance, a lot of churches put emphasis on soul winning or how you reach others with the gospel, right? When he put a lot of his emphasis on how are you living? How do your marriages look like? And that's why I think husbands, you'll give an account for your marriage, for your relationship. Why is that? Because it's a unit that the Lord chose to image his own relationship with the church. So it, it is, it's kind of a, it is a weighty concept, but when we think of things in terms of the kingdom of God, we can only, what did I say, weighty or what? Is it? Oh, <laughs> but it, it is something that uh, we have to think in terms of like what the kingdom that is going to be. What, what, what is coming? Um, and so when he says that, he, he leaves terms like, look, when you're anticipating marriage, and I think we all felt that, right? You, you feel like what that's like before you get married. Some people don't feel it as much because people just act married, right, before they get married. But think about if you were to do it scripturally and you were to actually not be physically involved before the wedding. Would there be anticipation leading up to a wedding then? Yeah, and, and so you, you understand the way he designed it, that's the same anticipation that we should have waiting for Jesus to come get us. And so all of this kind of works and fits and plays together. But those are really good questions, and we want you to, to continue to take questions, and that's what we're going to do the, the sixth week. All right, so uh, do your homework. Write down what the purpose is for your marriage, and um, continue to, to work on that. Anybody else? All right, so tonight's troll is pride. Uh, a lot of this is going to, it, it'll fit together the, the more we go through it, um, but we, we want to kind of paint a picture tonight, and this is something that, um, this is a troll that, that will really get you on so many levels, um, and, and maybe even the level in which you're thinking that we're coming from it might not even be that direction. Um, we, we might hit this from a different angle of the, than maybe even what you're thinking. Um, but we, we wanted to kind of um, pull this out in several ways. And, and then also, just to point this out in the end, the five, uh, five ways to eliminate the troll of pride at the end, practical tips taken from the marriage knot. So each week what we're doing as well is we're highlighting a book or a resource uh, that we feel like would be good for you to read. Last week was Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. This week, um, we have some things taken from The Marriage Knot, uh, which is also a good book. So these are, are good resources you can grab. Uh, so pride. Pride refers to an unwarranted attitude of confidence. And this is the part where we see spouses uh, elbowing other spouses. Yeah, uh-huh. An unwarranted attitude of confidence. While pride can have a positive connotation of self, self-worth or boasting, it is often used in Scripture to refer to an unhealthy, elevated view of oneself, abilities, or possessions. Yeah, so that, I, I felt like that was a, a good definition of pride. What do you think? Not 
not too bad. I'm talking to me. My microphone is really loud. Is oh, is it like, too loud? Well, it's good. Just all of, when I touch it, it's like really loud. So it's not bothering people. I think it's good. No, we we were just kind of like, all right, what's the definition of pride? Let's look it up. And we read it and we were like, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I think the part where it said uh, unwarranted attitude of confidence. Yes. That was that was probably our favorite yes. our favorite spot. So let's let's build this from a theological perspective. And that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to show you these, these dots that we're connecting. Thank you. Like, thanks, Kyle. Like Christ and the church, that's going to be a common thread through relationship trolls, right? So Jesus is our example of humility, Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 8. Can you read that one? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in, did you type that wrong? You fashion? Is that a word? I don't know. Okay. As a man? CSB. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yeah, no, that's King James. Oh, is it? That's what yeah, it says. Then it's definitely a typo. Okay. Yeah. So look at, look at the structure here. And I think that uh, if, you, if you continue down that line of that scripture, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end in uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess mm-hmm. that Jesus Christ is Lord. But before we get to the place where Jesus is our king, look what he does. He being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal, but made himself of what? No reputation. Uh-huh. He made himself of what? Come on. He made himself of what? No reputation. <laughs> no reputation. It, it, he took upon him the form of a, of a what? A servant. Don't we miss this? We miss this part. Let me go back to the beginning. This is the troll that will get you. Look, if you haven't recognized the troll of pride in your relationship already, uh, then you're missing out. <laughs> because it's there from the beginning. It only comes and goes. It never leaves for long, right? And it, and it will continue to get you and wreak havoc. So let me read you this definition one more time. Pride refers to an unwarranted attitude of what? Confidence. Of confidence. That guy in the room that thinks he knows exactly how to do it and that everybody should ask him how to do it, but really everybody knows that it's unwarranted. He really doesn't know what he's doing. You understand what I'm saying? Does anybody know that guy? Mm-hmm. Right? That guy? <laughs> we all have a little bit of that guy in us. And so when we consider this in relationships, it, in this context of Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We've got to go back to the place where we understand that Jesus humbled himself. In order for Jesus to be the groom of the church that is the bride, he had to put himself in a place where the two could be married. And what was the problem? We were the problem. What was the problem? We were unfit to be wed. The price was not paid. All the preparation takes place on the groom's end. The dowry, the, the making sure, the, the, especially in that culture, right, that the home was prepared and ready to be lived in. And he came and did all of that for us. He was in the form of God. Were you in the form of God? <laughs> no. He took upon him the form of a what? Servant. I'm just, we're trying to build this theological perspective Um, you know, that humility is necessary. And if there was one troll that the devil could send to screw up your marriage, wouldn't it be this one? Over and over and over again. Why? Because if he can get you acting in opposition to your Savior and groom, Jesus Christ, then he wins. So we're building here this theological concept that Jesus is our example of humility. Do you see that? Okay. Men are to follow his lead. Biblically speaking, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So am I out of bounds here by taking Jesus' example and comparing it to how men should act in our relationships? Am I out of bounds, or does that seem pretty in line with what Scripture is, is doing? Okay, all right. Men are to follow his lead. Now, here's the marriage design. Genesis 2, 18 through 24. What do you think, baby mama? Can you read it? Do you want to read it? Just wonder what it's Okay. 
Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken. Did I say that wrong? Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. So I like there it says, this is why. So if you need a why or to understand the, the foundation of marriage and the design of it, that's right there in Genesis where, when the Lord made Adam and Eve. Um, when in that concept of design, he created her to be a helpmeet. And we even find this to be more articulated in Timothy, in the pastoral epistles, when it talks about the deception that happened with Eve and then how Adam made a decision to sin because of his love for her. So uh, what I want to see or show you here is uh, this is the design. Jesus is the example of humility. Men are to follow that example in humility. And we see this put into place from the beginning. Now, how many know that we struggle with this because of sin? And, and that's, that's what we're talking about in our Roman study as we're going through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3. We're seeing original sin. This coming weekend, we're going to see Romans 5.12 where it talks about the first man and how sin enters into the world. But in relationships, just because we struggle, just because there's sin in the world, doesn't give us an excuse or a license to step outside of the design and how the Lord intended it to be. So our goal is not to say, well, it's never going to be perfect anymore, so uh, therefore we might as well throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater, which is what we do. And, and my goal tonight is to show you that when you do that, that's the troll of pride. Anytime you say this is how we want to do it, and this is how, this is how it works for us, this is what we're going to do, and it's not in line with the text or in line with the scriptures, you're fighting a troll, and that troll of pride is eating away at your relationship. Because there's a difference between what we do and then doing it the way that it was designed to do. You understand? Things should be used the way that they were intended and the way that they were designed to be used. So we see that there. <clears throat> Colonel is still there. But we're going to persevere through it. <laughs> no more popcorn. I'm no more. I'm sorry, Mama. No. Jeez. It was the fact that I only had one bite of it. I was like, oh, just one. No, it did me in. In the formation of the union of marriage, we see the trait of humility. In the formation of the union of marriage, we see the trait of humility. Do you see how he was there, but he needed a helper? He needed a companion. He in himself was not what? He wasn't enough. Do you see the humility there? Do you see the admittance of, I I'm just not whole. I'm not put together. In the design of it, we see, in the formation of it, we see the trait of humility. We see that each have a duty to give of themselves for each other in respect to their oneness. And they became one, what? Flesh. So the two give of themselves to become one or for their respect or in respect for their oneness. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not what? Is not what? What's the next one? Is not arrogant. It's not boastful, it's not arrogant. It's not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable. I'm sorry, can I just confess right now? <laughs> it does not keep a record of wrongs, <clears throat> women. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. 
It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In today's culture, a huge troll is pride. Huge. One of the biggest. This is a granddaddy troll in our culture, and it's that of pride. Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Look, I had that verse written down, memorized, underlined, underlined in my Bibles growing up. Look, it is, it only, pride only leads to destruction. Take heed, scripture says, lest he fall. When we think we're something, we're nothing. And it's coming. The fall is coming. In your relationship, if you are allowing this troll residence where things are about you and preferenced or, or postured or positioned towards you instead of towards your oneness, just wait. A fall is coming. A fall is coming. You think finances are bad? Pride's real bad. This could be the root to that financial problem. This could be the root to that, the, those other issues that you're having. Pride comes before destruction. This is, a, this is uh, and this was, we're kind of transitioning here, but this is specific in marriage when the husband and or wife has a want or need that becomes the focus over the union. This, this is specific in marriage when the husband slash wife has a want or a need that becomes the focus over the union. Can anybody think back to a point in your relationship where something became the focus instead of the someone? It's time we identify and see that for what it is. It's pride. Why is that? And this is what we, and we really, we talked at length today to try to establish this. For some, you're like, no, that's selfishness. And it is. But here's what we want you to see. If God's design was humility, starting from the head of the home, husbands, acting as if Christ acts, if humility is the design from the beginning in your oneness, and that's what contributes to it, any time you step out from that oneness to focus on yourself, that's pride. And it's anti to the design of how the Lord wants your relationship built. If, if you just kind of take a survey right now, a mental survey of your relationship and think about what have you been talking about in your relationship? What has been the topic of discussion for the last three weeks of your marriage? Is it something that's contributing to your oneness or is it an agenda that one of you has over the other? Think about that. I'm just gonna Go for it. Um, on that, that last uh, statement there, um, we were talking about, of course, I, I feel like you have the quote, in today's culture, yeah. um, we have you know, such a different culture because of social media, right? It's a part of our lives every day. And if we're honest, for most of us, it's literally throughout the whole day. You know, If you look at your phone and it gives you your little um, time of how long you've spent and which apps you spent the most time on, for most of us, it, it is social media, and it adds up. It might not be a big chunk at once, but it adds up throughout the day. And, um, you know, we're so influenced by those things. And, you know, I think that I was talking to, I think it was you the other day, we were talking about, um, I don't know, health things, you know, when people will say, that's not good for you, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't not eat, you know, these things, and you shouldn't run, you should do weightlifting, and you shouldn't do weightlifting, you should do cardio, and you shouldn't do cardio. Like, you can find on social media alone, whatever you want, whatever you, want whatever you feel like, I think this is the right thing. You can find 15 social media pages and 25 links to blogs that tell you you're right. That is the thing. You should be weightlifting. You should be running. You shouldn't be doing this or whatever. And so I think we sort of, we garner all of this, like, following for our own belief and we say well I must be right about this and so we get very prideful and I think that we have so much information that really we feel like validates what we're thinking or feeling and we're looking for that and we can find it you know it's not um it's not the same as it was where you know however many years ago you really only had your friends around you and if you voiced how you felt about something and it wasn't a popular opinion nobody was going to agree with you 
you know, and they're going to tell you, maybe speak some truth into you. But right now we're able to turn to any different outlet that we want to and receive validation and, and, and believe that we're, that we're right about something. And even when our spouse says, hey, I don't think that that's correct or I don't feel like this is right for our family or I don't think you should be behaving this way or whatever, we can say, well, I'm right and I have all this back here telling me I'm right. So I know I'm still right. And I think that that's where our culture and our society is very, very much feeding into pride. Um, and there's so much. I mean, depending on your personality, you can just, it can feed in on so many different levels. Um, but it's just, you can find whatever you want to, whatever you, whatever you want to make your thing, you can make it into your thing. And so many people will tell you you're right. Yeah, it's so true. And I think too, it's like talking about, you know, this perspective <laughs> we, we're so inclined to that. And I don't know if it's as much as, you know, all the crowd here, but I mean, statistically, if you're, you know, if you're more of a boomer, you're going to be on Facebook. So I think that it works in any, the youngsters, they're on TikTok. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It, it, it's going to translate. It doesn't matter what your age is. There's something for you is my point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's such a trap. If you're looking or seeking for that validation, like she said, it's like you're already in that trap. You've already been baited in, and you're at that point, you're past the point of the proverbial no return. And so think about that. We're, we're 100 miles wide and an inch deep, and when anybody gets into our business and says something that we disagree with, nobody can handle that anymore. Who, who is someone in your life that has told you in the, last, in the last seven days, no, you're wrong, and that you've actually listened and believed it? And we're going to get to the, the, the five practical points here. They're going to help you, I'm telling you. But, but do we have those relationships in our lives? Like, I know for a fact there's one person that just came to my mind, aside from my wife who speaks constant truth uh, and sets in order the things that are wanting in my life, as Scripture says, but... But that, and that's the truth. Like we have that relationship where I say something and she's like, that's dumb. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. That was really stupid. I know that she loves me and we have a bank account of love built up that she can withdraw from. But if you can't handle withdrawals from the bank account of love and you can only take in deposits, you're prideful. You're prideful. And so that's, that's an element. Anytime, here, here's a, a scripture for it. This just came to my mind. The Bible says only by pride comes contention. Only. And we're, we're not supposed to use words like always and never. <laughs> but the Bible can do it. Only. That means whenever you get mad and frustrated and upset, it's only because of your pride. What she's saying is so true. Think about that. Are you, are you, man, I'm about to go Google them. <laughs> So-and-so tried it. They did it. That's where we're at. Instead of saying, well, maybe, and here's what we do. We circumvent the Holy Spirit's gifts. If the Holy Spirit gives a gift to our spouse of discernment, instead of just submitting to that discernment, because we're ignorant, last week's message, right? But because we're, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing our agenda and we don't submit to it, we miss the whole point. We miss the crux of the message that the Spirit of God's trying to, to share with us because we're proud. Mm. That was good. How do you discern? I was talking about her part, not mine. <laughs> I just turned the page. How do you discern if it's the troll or if you were in your proper role? That was Sarah. That was Sarah. That was Sarah, 100%. <laughs> How do you discern if it's the troll or if you're in, in your proper role? I thought to myself, like, as we're building this, you know, I don't want to take from your gift, but here's something that we often run through this filter here. What is leading the move? And I mean this, like, what's next? Like, what are you talking about? What are you doing, right? Uh, what's happening in your relationship? What's leading the move? Is it fear? Is it shame? Is it guilt? 
If it's one of those three things, guess what? The trolls got you. You're not in your role. If you're operating out of fear, pride is, oh, pride is overrun. If you're operating out of shame, pride has got you. If you're operating out of guilt, that troll is wreaking havoc in your relationship. And so a good way to, to know what is, what's happening, uh, let's assess, let's, let's figure out the, the soul care of our relationship. What's motivating your decisions? Well, I want that new job. Well, I, I think we need to go to counseling. I think, uh, what's, what's another one? We need a change. We need to do three vacations this year because we just need it. You know what I mean? Like, look, we all have different things that we're trying to achieve or do, right? Ask yourself this, what's motivating the move? Why am I saying I need that? Is it fear? What are you scared of? And it only takes five wives to get there, right? This is the CEO of Toyota that would ask the five wives. Five wives. <laughs> That's the popcorn kernel stuck in my throat. <laughs> he was also Mormon. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> it was funny. I thought it was good. but <laughs> Sister wives. But it only takes five times asking, well, why do I want that? Well, I want it because of this. Well, why do you want that? You do that five times, you get to the root of the problem or the reason. And so many, many couples, and we see this a lot, it's like, especially when we start counseling them, we, especially her, she'll be like, so why are you doing that? And they'll be like, well, because of this. People get defensive right away, you know. And like, we're not, we don't care what they do. <laughs> We could care less what they're doing, right? We just want them to get along and, and show the love of Christ in their relationship. But, but you ask, well, what's it any of your business? You came to us for counseling. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're just asking questions. People get defensive. Why? Because it's being, it's being operated out of fear, out of shame, or out of guilt, right? And so you can really dial those, those things in there. All right, let's move quick. 1 John 2, 16 through 17, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, or the pride in one's possession, <laughs> some of these went CSB and some of them went King James, that's my fault. I'm quoting it in King James, but the pride in one's possession or the pride of life, I kind of like the statement pride of life, which is in King James, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lusts is passing away but the one who does the will of God remains forever. I put that there for your own good. Those three categories are three categories that you should not be operating out of. Uh, things that, that we run from, don't miss this, things that we run from or things that we do on our own lead us away from imaging the Lord in our relationship. And I, I, don't, I mean, it's the one that's the, the shining the brightest in our room, but you know, I saw Nicole at, the avenue, I think that was, what's today, Wednesday? That was yesterday, wasn't it? I saw you yesterday with Joe at the avenue, and we were just talking. And the faith, you're so strong in that. DJ and his texts and his comments are so encouraging to me because I see the strength of your faith. They're not running from it. They're running into it. And, and it is like, look, this is what the Lord has for us. And if he heals Wonderful, we'll give him the glory. But if it tarries, we know he will sustain us. I'm just like, Phew. you all don't understand. I mean, that builds my faith. That builds the image of God, knowing that the strength that you have, it's a, it's a real life example sitting in our midst how a marriage is strengthened by not running away from or wishing away, but running into what the Lord has. Look, we, we have to understand the purpose, right? For richer or for poorer, in sickness and in what? Where, did, where is that theologically? It's right here. It's humility. It's the design. Don't just say it. Live it. And when you run from sickness, you're running from something that will sustain your marriage relationship. You're running from something that just may be the strength that you need to get you through that rough patch. People think we're going through this rough patch because we don't have enough money. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. The not enough money is just what the Lord is using in your life to reveal the problem. 
You should be good with or with, without. Look at the next verse. Philippians 4.11, I don't say this out of need, Paul said. Paul is saying, I'm not saying this because I'm broke. Watch, he said, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. That's, that's when the pride troll shows up and he goes, I ain't got nothing at this house. I, I can't, my work here will do absolutely nothing. When the troll shows up and, and we're like, look, we're good with beans and rice and we're good with T-bone steak. You know what I'm saying? Like, a, troll's like, I'm going to go find somebody else. He's going to go find that person that watches the neighbor pull out every morning and goes, man, that's a nice car. <laughs> that pride troll's like, got him. Take him right out. That's a simple illustration of where he's targeting. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when Paul goes, I've had it and I've not had it and I'm good either way, that's what we're looking for. Why? He was in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation. <laughs> Those extremes, the enemy cannot handle that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, all right. We had to put in here a fun biblical story. You think we can get through this in 10 minutes? Why don't you just, why don't you just tell the story? And then people it. can come back and read. No, I mean, just tell it. Yeah, you tell the story. You think, and it'll can read you think I can do that quicker than actually reading it? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're going to read it and then you're still going to tell and it. And then anyway. I'm still going to do it. So you might as well just tell it. <laughs> Good yeah. point. Good point. So we have two stories here. And we actually made a discovery while we were doing the, while we were reading them. And I found, it, I mean, honestly, the Spirit just spoke directly into it. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's amazing. But this biblical, when talking about this troll of pride, this biblical narrative of Abraham and Sarah came to mind. And I thought, here's two passages of scripture. Go back and read it, but I'm going to tell you the quick story because that's what my wife just told me to do, and I'm going to submit, okay? So here's the story. Abraham and Sarah, does everybody know who they are? He's the father, the patriarch of the children of Israel. He's how the Lord promised to bring about Jesus to every nation. So this is the man, he had pretty much one job, and that was to have a son so that uh, the lineage could continue. But then remember in faith, the Bible says that he got past the promise. In other words, he was too old, right? And she was too old to have a baby. And so the Lord used a miracle to bring about Isaac's conception. And that's, that's what the Lord did with Jesus, right? So it's a picture. It's a miracle continuing to be passed on through this line, through this lineage. But listen, they were not perfect. The Lord used these couples that had bad marriages and bad relationships. You understand what I'm saying? So this is hope for me. <laughs> if the Lord will use David, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that guy was a murderer and an adulterer, and I didn't cheat on you, please. But you know what I'm saying? Like, the Lord used these people. And he'll use you and he'll use me. Look, we're broken. You understand? We're broken people. But the Lord uses broken people. So here's the story. When Abraham and Sarah were young, when they were young and she was like in her prime, you know what I'm saying? And we know that she didn't have children. So we know that she didn't have no baby weight. So they were, they were, going, into, they were going into Egypt, right? They were going, they were, I, I think I can get through it faster. You should have just read it. My version is more entertaining. Somebody, entertaining. somebody copyright this real quick. <laughs> so anyway, no baby weight. She's real young. She's in her prime. They just met. And so they're, they're embarking on a journey into Egypt. And so Abraham tells her, he's like, listen, and this was kind of true because they come from the same family tree. They're from West Virginia. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but anyway, so they, she, he says to her, look, when we get to Egypt, the Pharaoh is going to look at you and he's going to be like, girl, you are finer and frog hair. You're going to be my wife. <laughs> and then he's going to kill me to get to you. And then I'm not going to be married. And here's what he does. I know he was justifying it. So here's what I'm saying. The Lord promised to make me the father of many nations. So if we don't protect me, then I can't have a baby with you, and therefore Jesus won't be born. That's how I'm playing it out in my own mind. But uh, So anyway, they go to Egypt, and they tell Pharaoh, oh, look, it's my sister. Well, Pharaoh goes, all right, well, she ain't taken then. She took her wedding ring off, put it in there, put it in the, in the bag in their luggage, and she didn't have a wedding ring on. They said it was Abraham's sister, so Pharaoh takes her for a wife. No joke, Abraham's wife. 
Well, Yahweh, the God of Israel, made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and it's going to happen through Sarah. And Pharaoh, at this point, is now standing in the way of that covenant because he took Abraham's wife. So here's what happened. Pharaoh goes, man, your sister's so fine, finer than frog hair, remember? Right? I'm going to give you all this stuff. So he gives him camels and goats, and Abraham's living on Pharaoh's property, eating grapes every night. He's like, yeah, you can keep her. I mean, it says that they gave him servants. Keep that in mind. Abraham's living high on the hog because his sister went to live at Pharaoh's house. Well, then the Lord judged Pharaoh for taking Abraham's wife. And Pharaoh's like, what's going on? I just thought she was pretty. She's a good-looking woman. And the Lord said, I know, but... (laughs) Anyway, just kidding. Uh, That was a little sacrilegious, sorry. (laughs) Y'all take a breath. So he says, get out of my house. Get, get out of my house. I can't believe you lied to me. So here's my point. Abraham lied. He let his fear control the narrative. And instead of, watch this, leaning into God's promise, which is what he should have done. You see, the same logic that he used to create and fabricate a whole system to say, well, I've got to protect me, that promise would have protected him in the beginning. The Lord didn't need Abraham to lie. The Lord needed Abraham to humble himself and say, I know you're scared, but I'm going to control the situation. Fast forward, four more chapters. The Bible says, remember that Abraham received servants when he was in Egypt for giving his sister to the Pharaoh. He takes all of his clan, all his new belongings. They hightail it out of Egypt. Pharaoh was upset. And the Bible says that Years down the road, Sarah is 99. She can't have a baby, and she begins to get irritated. She had a handmaid, guess what, that was from Egypt, and her name was Hagar. I'm about to stand up and preach. The decisions that you make in pride will plague you for years to come. When you step out in your marriage relationship at this young age, and you sow into your relationship with pride... When those pride decisions have babies 20 and 30 years down the road, you're not going to like it. Cut the troll off in the beginning. Because when that Egyptian slave, here's what Sarah said to Abraham. Take my handmaid and go in unto her and bring me a son through her. And we all know how that ended. His name was Ishmael. And to this day, there's still fights between the Israelites and the Arab nations. There's still rifts in this family tree because of that. And we know that she mistreated Hagar and sent her away. But eventually God made true on his promise and gave Sarah a son. And they called his name Isaac. And from him, Abraham was the father of many nations. But what if Abraham would have humbled himself and not allowed the troll of pride to get in the way. Here's what I'm saying. When you think to yourself, well, it's not pride. I'm I'm just not doing what I think I should be doing. We think pride is like somebody who's out front, the best at everything. Pride is also not doing what the Lord wants you to do. Pride is also doing it your way instead of his way. That is pride. We have to get control. This troll is killing us. And I couldn't believe it when I saw in scripture, I was like, the handmaid was from Egypt. Our bad decisions have so many implications we don't even know. The devil, when he weaves a web, it's a thick one. It's a thick one. It's a thick one. Okay, I told the story. I am too bad. Not too bad. Two instances where the husband and wife did things the way they wanted. They not only dealt with the consequences, watch this but so did their children. One thing to add to that story, remember Isaac in his old age, he had twins. Jacob and who? Think about the relationship those two had. The lies continued. You ever heard of generational sin? Look, if you don't fix this troll of pride, your kids are going to deal with it. I don't know if you have, (laughs) I mean, we see it every night. The clowns that they are. (laughs) You see exactly your your worst traits are the ones they pick up on the fastest. 
Mine. Oh, she doesn't have any bad oh, traits. Really? She doesn't have any. It's just, it just duplicates and replicates. Look, you know this is truthful. It might be painful. And look, some of y'all are like, I know what you're thinking. <sighs> We're past all that. Mm-hmm. But your kids and your grandkids aren't. Now, if you think that you ought not make something right that was wrong, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, they're going to deal with it. It's, it's never too late to confess and repent. It's never too late to get right with the Lord. Look, and I've said this openly, but my relationship with my father, how long ago was that? Maybe like six months. We're in, about six months. Six months ago, we, we figured it all out. Six months, and he's 60, he'll be 69 this year. And it's never been better. It's never too late. Never. Now, when you die, it's too late. So if you're breathing, make it happen. I just want to add this, too, on the, um, just the, you know, breaking those generational curses. And, you know, I do think a lot of times we have a tendency to just kind of, I don't know what age it happens, but you're just kind of like, I am who I am and it is what it is. And everybody around me is just going to have to deal with it. But there's really no time in life where that should be the attitude. You know, it's just, it's never, there's never a place for that. And um, I know for us, and I'm sure a lot of generations older than us and maybe some younger too, um, we didn't really hear sorry. We didn't hear repentance from our parents. So this is more on a parenting topic. Um, you know, if if my parents lost their temper, I didn't usually hear a, I'm really sorry that I did that. I'm sorry I said something that was hurtful or I'm sorry that I got upset. And, you know, we didn't hear that. We didn't, things aren't always, you know, and they didn't, like, they weren't raised that way. And I think that that's a lot of people in older generations. It's just kids should respect their parents and the parents can kind of, live in their pride, do whatever, they're right about whatever, and kids just need to be okay with that. And, you know, I think it's really important that if you are, you know, being proud about a sin that you committed, that you do make it right with everybody around you. And that's not just your spouse, but I think in order to break that chain, then you also need to make things right with your children. So if you've wronged them, if I've lost my temper and I've yelled at my kids, even if they did do something wrong, but my wrong is not also okay, right? So I need to go to them and say, I'm really sorry that I did that. And I also say, that doesn't justify your behavior. That doesn't mean that what you did was okay, but what I did wasn't okay either. And we need to, you know, I want to put this right between us. And so I think that is also a step in fixing that, is if you can identify that pride in yourself that I did something wrong to you, I wronged you, whether it be between the two of you and you model that for your kids, that they see mom and dad, if they see you get in some kind of argument or our kids, they learned the word squabble from Bluey. So when we start kind of going back and forth, they're like, you're squabbling. <laughs> so they'll always call us out. Y'all not it. watch Bluey? Oh, man. Bluey is the funniest kid yeah, show. It really is. Bluey. It's the best. Um, but, you know, they'll call us out on it. And... When they do, it's like, okay, we need to probably, if we've been, if we're getting at each other a little bit in front of them, then we need to make it right in front of them. And then we also need to make it right with them and say, you know, we're sorry that we acted yeah. that way around you. Sorry you had to see that and yeah. it'll never happen again. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a big part in breaking that chain yeah. is that you're not, it's not just like you I think sometimes we get that way. It's like, I need to fix me. I got to fix me. I got to fix me. You do. Yes. But like, you have to also yeah. like fix it with everybody around you and be willing to humble yourself to people that maybe you feel like are below you yeah. and be willing to admit that you did wrong and say that yeah. you're sorry and make it right. And then 100%. that's, that is the example they need because then when they do wrong, they know they need to come to you and say they're sorry. Yeah. They know they need to put it right in their relationships. And then when yeah. they get married, it's, it's normal for them. Yeah. It's not this weird thing modeled. to have to say sorry, that's you know, right. cause they're used to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so good. So the, these are five ways and you know, Here's your homework for the week, but five ways to eliminate the troll of pride from your relationships. 
And I mean, these are really good, taken from this book. Um, the first one is, is kind of what Sarah was just saying. It's mm-hmm. taking it a step further. Um, how, like, how many just want to be honest and transparent tonight and just be like, look, I struggle with pride. I just, I struggle with it. Anybody? I'm with you guys. I'm with you. My hand is up. If, if you struggle with it, sometimes it's hard because, uh, and if you didn't raise your hand, y'all struggle with it, okay? <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> no. Um, but for me, I'm like, look, I need action items. Like, I need to be able to, like, fix this thing. And, and how many of you want a better relationship? How many of you want a better marriage? How many want to image Jesus better for a lost and dying world? This is where you start. So the first point, and we'll leave you with this, it takes it a step further. This is tangible. Be willing to admit that you're wrong. Let me say that again. Be willing to admit that you're wrong. I'm shocked by how many people just can't can't say they got something wrong. You know what I mean? And I think part of it, like if you're the type of person that doesn't want to say that they got something wrong or you're scared someone is going to point it out, just know that that's tethered somewhere in your childhood. And it's, and it's absolutely okay to screw up. You hear me? It's okay to make a mistake. And if you aren't able, if you don't have these mechanisms, this one, this is number one of five. The other four are just as good. But listen to me tonight. Like, you need mechanisms in your life that kick this troll out. If you can't admit when you are wrong, this troll is going to live on your shoulder for the rest of your life. It's really easy. I just go and I say, hey, uh, <laughs> baby mama, that's what I call her. Baby mama, I, I screwed that up. I messed up. And then I follow it up with, with I'm sorry. Here's, here's what some of us do sometimes. I'm really sorry that that worked out that way. I'm really sorry that happened. Here's what you're not saying. You're not saying that you were wrong. Stop saying you're sorry and start saying, I was wrong. And be descriptive about it. Tell, the, tell your spouse what you got wrong. And here's what happens. The Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's going to come into that moment of confession, and he is going to surround you with himself. And you're going to feel the substance of his love in your relationship. And that troll is going to go from this big to this big. Look, we want to strengthen your relationship. We want to strengthen you all over over the next few weeks. And these mechanisms, read them, put them into practice this week. They'll help you. They'll kick these trolls right out.